Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Eve. Hey, Kieran. How are you? Um, really cranky that it's still snowing here in Virginia, that it's you know, despite the fact that we're in March and it should be spring. Yeah, it's been winter here too, and it's ridiculous. I moved away from Maine, so I didn't have to deal with winter, and I'm so grumpy that we're having a winter in California. Yeah, but you're, I mean, San Francisco is always kind of chilly. Yeah, but Oakland is not usually as chilly. Okay. Yes, it's fair. It's fair. It's fair. But the Bay Area in general is not representative of the sunshine yes. everywhere else. This is true. But spring means there's all sorts of social things happening. You're you're planning you're planning a queer prom. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Peralta College District is going to have its first ever queer prom. Um, as far as I know, I don't think it's been done before. No one has said <laughs> it's been done before. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited. And it's also kind of funny because as I'm planning this, like I've, I'm an organizer. I have planned events before I started event planning when I was 15, Mm -hmm. but nobody knows this. And so when I come in with my event planning hat on, like I did yesterday and I had the entire like schedule kind of vaguely estimated and the check-in process all planned out and the way we're going to handle like uh, photo permissions and whatnot all like basically planned and mitigated for everyone was just like, do you do this professionally? And like, <laughs> You're like, not yet. Like <laughs> I have, I have. Yes. I, 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 I do this. I am an organizer. This is, yes, this is what I do. <laughs> and so it's fun to watch people like finally begin to understand that when I say I'm an organizer and then suddenly they know what that means because they've heard me talk at a meeting. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that's an exciting thing to happen. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. I have never been to prom. I've been to like school dances. Like we had a, like a formal for homecoming and for like freshmen, but um, at Grove, but I've never been to like a prom. I've also never been to prom. I wasn't allowed to go to prom because uh, it was apparently sex happened. Well, because so many of our parents like got laid after prom for the first time, right? right? Like that's like yeah. the the like American high school ritual was like you have your first blowjob at prom or something. Yeah, like this is this is what I've learned from movies and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is this is how I understand the, prom. The, the mainstream media tells us this. Yes. I have no data to back it up. Yeah, I, I have no personal experience to confirm this. But I think the fun part that a lot of our listeners might be wondering about right now is the fact that we even had the option to go to prom when we were homeschooled. Yeah. So guys, um, homeschool proms, they <laughs> exist. They do exist. <laughs> They're really scary sort though. Of, <laughs> yeah. Like they kind of try but they do it in the like weirdest way. You actually 
kind of have a story about this. Right. But like, let's get to that at the end. Let's start with like the spectrum of dance events that can happen in the fundamentalist Christian community. Let's start like big picture so that this is set in context. When I was a child, one of the things that our churches did around Valentine's Day um, was father-daughter dances. Oh. Because that's not weird. But it's like you like you get dressed up and your dad gets dressed up and you go to church and you have like the fancy dinner and you dance with your dad. What is the what is the connection to Valentine's Day? I don't know. That was just like when they had it. I I think I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it was part of like they wanted like some weird convoluted way to like teach girls to value themselves and not chase after boys. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure it, it blended into purity culture somehow. In fact, I think that's what it was. But the connection was never really made explicit. Right. Were they called purity balls? Um, Not those ones. Purity balls were like an entirely different thing I learned about when I was a teenager. And I feel like I learned about it from someone in the revolution uh, or like the bloggers of that time. It was big in the vision forum circles. It was big in yeah. these like neo-Victorian um, oh, groups. Yes. So it was like the ones that really had like a fetish about... Basically, like, Antebellum South stuff, where mm-hmm. it would be, like, um, you know, the very white version of a quinceanera, where it was, like, a coming out... A coming out party. A coming out party. <laughs> right. And so they, like, inverted it to be a... Uh, actually, I'm, like, absolutely not available party. Because right. <laughs> usually a coming out party exactly. meant that, like, the girl had, like had her period and was, like, eligible to be pursued by gentlemen callers. Right. Um, And so in this culture, it's, like, taking that concept, that basic concept, and, like, flipping it and being, like, and now that she's had her period, she's not going to talk to boys until she's 30. Right. And and the boys must go through the father first, obviously. Oh, right, right, right. So the the father-daughter dances are this, like, kind of... um, Slightly more chill precursor. So these these father-daughter dances are kind of designed around this idea of, like, it's this very gender binary, um, heteronormative um, space where people believe that a girl is going to devalue herself and devalue her, um, her sexual worth um, if she doesn't have a solid relationship with her father to model other relationships with men on afterward. Right. Which is pretty much, I think, an idea that has been debunked in academic, you know, psych- psychological mm-hmm. com- communities where they, they've done research and it's like, no, you just need to have, like, healthy bonds with pe- with your parents and your caregivers right. and it doesn't have to be of a specific gender yeah um it's more about like attachment theory as opposed to gender relationships but that's just blasphemous so it's you know the only boys <laughs> at the purity ball are your fathers and then right right yeah so it's just like 
And well, it's some of them are like really big ceremony kind of things. Well, those are the purity balls where they have like yeah. a, con- a kind of a contract. Yes. Um, and again, like I feel like they're stealing a lot from the quinceanera because there's like the the whole like the fancy dress and mm-hmm. you know some sort of like ceremony. Um, yeah. it's I mean it's it's modeled after it's modeled after all of the things that you you think about in terms of um like confirmation. It's kind of like asexual confirmation. Yeah, where you are pledging yourself to God and not just in a like. This is how I deal with my faith. This is a, like, how you deal with your sexuality in relation to your faith. And it's a very narrow focus. It's it's really how you, like, repress it and lock it in a box and never think about it again. And it's, and it's usually <laughs> these, like, purity balls with these contracts and these ceremonies are usually done before... Um, before the child in question has hit puberty and is like even aware of sexuality as a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I feel like I've seen them also when like uh, people become like teenagers and it's like as part of the purity ring getting process, there's like the ball and then you get your purity ring. My parents made sure before... that I had a purity ring and like had done all of that stuff before I actually hit purity because it's a lot easier to convince someone yeah of this system when they haven't like experienced arousal or anything like that yeah okay so what is a purity ring and did you have one i did have one i i got mine i think when i was 12 Mm -hmm. uh right i got mine after i got my period Mm-hmm. So hmm. when I was twelve, <laughs> because yep. suddenly, suddenly I was a woman, and therefore I had purity that I needed to guard. Puberty <laughs> started for me when I was like seven, but I was twelve when I had my period, so that was like the culmination of my blooming womanhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's when I got my purity ring, and my parents had the purity talk. I guess like I I knew we were going to be courting and not dating and all that before, like when I was nine. But uh, they were like, all right, you can't have sex with a boy. And like I even knew what sex was like my my experience of sex was the like birth that I helped deliver. And I was like, if that's what that leads to. I want none of that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not having sex. Nope. (laughs) Fine. Happily happily not do that thing yeah would love (laughs) to like not have my vaginal area be bulldozed (laughs) by a small demon (laughs) yeah so so it really wasn't that hard of a sell yeah (laughs) it was just like sure okay got it Um, cool mom bye yeah and but i didn't have i didn't like sign a pledge or do like much of a ceremony kind of thing. I didn't have a ball or a dance to go to. It was it was pretty low key. I was like, I got the ring and like, I think maybe my dad wrote something. Maybe my dad wrote something, but it was not. It was not performative outside of like my family. Gotcha. Yeah, mine was very like kept with me and my parents. Like, I don't think my siblings were even aware of yeah. it. Like. And it was it was a like a a paper contract, mm-hmm. and they told me to write 
it. So I had to write the terms of it and I typed it up on the computer and made a couple copies and then we all signed it. And this happened, I think I was just turned 12. So I was, that would be May. So it was like still six months out from getting my period. And I like didn't have a crush on anyone, didn't understand anything. And really I like going back to last week's conversation, like my Mars is in Cancer and my Venus is in Taurus. I don't like change and I don't like fighting with people I like. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is going to come as a surprise to people because I'm very <laughs> opinionated and, like, very passionate. But I actually really, like, very much value, like, loyalty and consistency and, like, stability in my close and intimate relationships. And so if this is the thing that my parents are going to say is, like, their their big issue that they, you know, require me to comply with so that they can still love me or whatever, yeah, I'm going to comply with that. Yeah. So my parents kind of had talked with me about the idea of courtship and the idea of purity for as long as I can remember. I remember being like five and like having a fight with my four-year-old neighbor where she was like, TJ at school is my boyfriend or something. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not allowed to have boyfriends because my family believes in courtship. And she was like, that's stupid. I don't even know what it is or something. And I was just like, well, we can't talk. or so, I don't know. I just remember just like having this like spat about yeah. boyfriends. And I remember very much being like, I don't know what courting is and I don't know what dating is, but I know this is what we do. Right. And so I had gotten more familiar with the terms and like kind of understood the principles. We had like obsessively read over and over the little house books and like, you know, my dad talked about you know what he thought Almanzo did wrong and right and all you know we we Mm. deconstructed all of these relationships um and and had all these discussions about it so there was this this sense of like what was off limits and what wasn't so like I remember we were talking about like should kissing be included in the contract and me being you know super naive was like absolutely kissing shouldn't be you know a thing until marriage (laughs) (laughs) because like I didn't know anything and I was just trying to be as like as enthusiastically supportive of my parents' decisions as I could be because, you know, I wanted to please them. Well, yeah. So I wrote up this little contract and signed it and they gave me this ring and um, it was this like tiny little ring from Kohl's with a piece of tanzanite stone. And um. And I was told to wear it on my wedding ring finger, on my left hand. And so I would get questions about it all the time. And actually, Mm. around that time was when I got mistaken for being my younger sister Lily's mom. Yeah. I was 13 and wearing the ring, and she was like five, four. Yes. So I I couldn't have had it, but like I was at the Christian bookstore, and the the woman was like, how old's your daughter? And I was like... (laughs) That was so infuriating. That happened to me all the time, too. It was, and I'm like, I'm, like, they asked me if, if my brother, who is two years younger than me, was my child, and I was like, oh, my God. No. <laughs> what is wrong with How you? How many child marriages have these people seen? Right? Like, to make that assumption. Yeah. So, I remember finding that contract around the time when I got married, and 
like finding it really ironic that like fifty percent of the stuff on there I had done and violated the contract for, and fifty percent of it I still hadn't, and just feeling really like angry that like that was like put on me before I yeah. even understood any any of that, and and it was funny too because um, my first semester or first year in college I was wearing that ring and wore it all the time, got a lot of questions about it, switched it to my right hand. Yes. To get fewer questions. Yeah. And then that summer I worked at Panera Bread and I was doing dishroom stuff. And that those those cleaners are abrasive. And I had been also working in the dishroom at school the semester before. And so like um and they didn't supply us with gloves all the time. And so like that ring kept getting exposed to all these chemicals mm. because you're not supposed to take it off. Because taking right. off your purity ring is kind of like this you know this like gesture of saying like i don't necessarily be- necessarily believe in this stuff anymore yeah like if i you was can seen- only replace it with like your engagement ring or your right ring. if i was seen in like public not wearing it like if i took it off to play frisbee um and there was a photo on facebook my mom might call me up and be like yep why'd you take it off what'd you do so I always wore it in all these like abrasive chemical situations and the ring, the stone, and tanzanite's really soft. It fell out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just had this this empty ring and I was like, well, I'm not going to wear this anymore because this is like stabby and ugly. Yeah. And, um, and my mom was so upset and she was like trying to see if it was like a sign from God Oh my god! For a little bit, and then she decided it wasn't, and I was okay. I hadn't done anything wrong, and my dad just needed to replace it, and he didn't want to go with me to replace it to like go pick out a new one because she had this whole mm. idea that we were gonna go on a father daughter date and like replace it. Oh right, those are totally things. Right, and so I got sent with like a hundred dollars back to Kohl's to go find myself a new purity ring, <laughs> and I just was like. I picked I picked out something that was kind of ugly and I didn't really love it, but it was my birthstone and I, I felt like that was a little bit of an improvement, but I really mm-hmm. just like didn't want to wear it and I didn't like what I was doing and I didn't like, mm-hmm. I felt the whole, like the whole thing was just like kind of ridiculous and unnecessary. So I wore that for a little bit, but then when I got to school, I just stopped wearing it at school and would only wear it when I went back home. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of questions about it. And I just, like, eventually just stopped wearing it. Yeah. Probably. Now I'm thinking about this and I'm like, I wonder if I stopped wearing it because I started giving hand jobs <laughs> to my boyfriend. <laughs> I think that might have been what happened. Um, but he also gave me a ring around that time. And I think I, I was wearing that one instead. So. Right. But the, the point is, like, and that was, oh, man, do you remember promise rings? Yes, okay, I had so one. That ring that he gave me, he made it very clear that it wasn't a promise ring, but everyone in our community was like, that's a promise that's ring. That's a promise ring. Yeah. Did you have one? Yeah, I did. My mom, my, not my mom, but my parents uh, made my ex get me one as like one of their prerequisites for letting us continue to be able to court. Uh, so because I didn't come back engaged, they were like, well, you at least have to have, like, you know, okay, say you're going to be. Do, in case our listeners don't know the difference between a purity ring and a promise ring and an engagement ring, do you want to delineate oh, yeah. these? Yeah. All right. So a purity ring is something that your father gives you 
when you are like in puberty and you are pledging yourself to God via your father to Their accountability not... to your father. Your father is your your head. Yes, the the top the top umbrella, second umbrella, whatever. The under God the umbrellas. umbrellas. Yeah, the under God <laughs> umbrella in your multi-tiered umbrellas of protection. Mm-hmm. Just Google umbrella of protection. We'll put um, a, we'll put the graph up. I've got it. Yeah. Uh, and and so you're pledging um, not to have sex, not to date anybody who your parents don't approve of. Like it differs for people, but you are pledging yourself to your father, but God really. Uh, like you're your God, like all you're, your sexuality. Your God, your God is away. a stand-in for your father. I mean, your father is a stand-in for God. Yeah, yeah, and and so you're you're saying that you're not going to be sexual in any way that your parents don't want you to be until you get married. A promise ring is something that your suitor or beau or whatever Victorian term your parents decide to use for your boyfriend. Oh my God, all uh, of the above. Yeah, gives you. That is not an engagement ring, but it is. It, so it doesn't allow you to like start planning your wedding or say you're engaged, but it is a symbol of like you are taken and you are you are together with somebody. The word the word that comes to mind you is want your to be engaged spoken with. for. Yes, you're spoken for. That's the phrase. And that's and it's again with this like a very um patriarchal property centric mindset of how how women are in relationship to men. Mm-hmm. Um like it's it signifies that you belong to someone. It's not it's not an equal thing. It's you no. are now subservient to this other man who gave you this ring. Yeah, a man has called dibs on you and if any man is interested in you, he has to check with that other man first. Right. And you have no say in it. Who cares? Yeah. No one you don't. You don't have sex drive or any agency at all. No. Well, in case, okay, let's let's get all like <laughs> let's get all like social and social socioeconomic analysis on this like let me bring the marxism to this whole yes. situation because go for it virginity is not real it literally does not exist like the whole like i i mean we can go off on this whole tangent of hymen's breaking at the wedding night are a symptom of inadequate lubrication and inadequate yeah. foreplay the yep. hymen is designed to stretch it's not designed to tear. That's bullshit. That is, you know, phallocentric yep. medicine. That it's not real. And there's a whole lot of documentation that you can find to back that up. Go research it. Um, so, like the whole virginity thing is is just like an artificial construct, and it doesn't exist medically. And the only reason it exists socially is um, when people like in the history of human civilization, mm-hmm. stopped being nomadic and started owning property and settling down. They wanted a way to pass on property to their next in, uh, next of kin, to their children. And the only way they could ensure that those children belonged to a certain man, again, mm-hmm. property language, um, the only way they could ensure that was to make sure that the childbearing creature they were using to continue their lineage hadn't had sex with someone else because yeah. if they could lock up this woman and make sure that her her uterus was unpolluted basically um that no one else no one else would in 
inherit your mm-hmm. your property who wasn't part of your family. Yep. Um, and I would really encourage anyone who's curious about this to go read Jessica Valenti's The Purity Myth. It talks about this in great detail. It's very, very good. Um, but, like, the idea of virginity became a thing when that started happening. And so uh, virginity is valuable as a commodity as it relates to property ownership. Yep. And so if we're going to, you know, literally decolonize our sexual ethics, we have to reject virginity as a concept. Yes. Everything goes back to, like capitalism everything goes back to fucking capitalism it really does (laughs) and this this is why it's like so these like uh umbrellas of protection and like guarding your sex your purity and your sexuality and like guarding your heart and like the the his and hers shared facebook profiles and shared email email addresses and like men not allowing their wives to have access to the family finances or putting their names on anything Mm -hmm. like it's all because they're so afraid of someone stepping out because yep. they believe that their par- partner is their property. And it's yep. not that they believe that overtly or understand that that's what they believe, but the entire system of that kind of monogamy is based on yep. owning your partner's sexuality. Yep. Yeah, and that's in like purity culture takes that a step further and goes to owning your partner's feelings and like thoughts and heart and mind because a huge part of purity culture is not even just like not fucking, not having sex. It's like not even having feelings for other people who aren't the person that you're going to be married to. Right. I mean, that's why you're like supposed to you know, be ready to, like, confess all of your prior crushes to your future spouse. That's why you're supposed to, like, shut down any crushes and not have them. That's why porn equals cheating. Yes. That's why using porn equals an addiction. Because you you can blame desire on something outside of you and not take ownership for wanting to see other people fucking. Yeah. Wanting to see other bodies. Um, well, anyone who uses porn is seen as being a sex addict. And that's well, yes, not, that's, that's like, that's also medically not a thing. Being addicted right. to porn is medically not a thing. Masturbating is a normal thing that your body needs to do. Like, it's not. And some people need porn that, for that. That, cool. that, like, blew my mind and, like, healed so many things and changed so many things when I came to that conclusion when I realized that masturbating is like a physical need and it's not something sinful and bad. Like it is, it is what changed your mind about that. Uh, I mean, it was just like learning about how the body works. Mm -hmm. Like it was literally, I was on Scarletine and they were talking about masturbating and how it's just like a biological thing that your body needs to do. And I was like, Oh my God, I had no idea that like I just thought I was just terribly sinful and bad for like this thing that is perfectly a normal part of like human development. Well, this gets me back to to one of my favorite soapboxes, which is the Cartesian divide that is in a lot of evangelical theology, where the body is like this thing that is subpar compared to mm-hmm. the the world life of the mind. You have everything 
spiritual is so elevated to the detriment of connecting with your body and being aware of your body as part of yourself. A lot of people um, who abide by that theology will, will talk about like physical suffering as like, well, that's okay. I don't, it's not a big deal. I can't wait to get to heaven when I can have a new body. And so they're, they're dismissing caring for or being in tune with their, their current body because they're just like, well, it's already broken because, Hey puppy, come on. Get down. Blanche. Thank you. Our neighbors are allowed to walk past. It's okay. Good girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're, uh, they're so out of touch with their active body because they're so focused on desiring heaven. Yeah. That they just, I mean, the Catholics have a pretty th- thorough th- theology of the body. And if you accept their basic premises, the entire system works. But evangelicals don't have a theology of the body. No. The body is is flesh, and flesh is to be destroyed, and is bad and sinful. Right, and the, one of the places that comes out the most clearly is like the ethics of masturbation. Like a lot, of, there's even in the most fundamentalist circles, there's people yeah. who will say it's fine because there's nothing in the Bible that explicitly addresses it, and so it's just a gray area where it's like, well, you can do it as long as you're not thinking about anybody lustfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, yeah, there was also that line. You can do it as long as you're not using porn. You can do it as long as you're not um, depriving your spouse of sex. Right. There's that there is that school of thought. But, yeah. And there's there's just no grounding for either side of it. Yeah, my parents were definitely not explicitly but implicitly on the like the physical world is not great and we just need to be in heaven. So forget everything about what your physical body is doing which i mean given that my mom was pregnant for a decade straight i get being that dissociated right (laughs) well and that's that's another interesting thing is like how do you reconcile that with you know the female body is is seen as fundamentally good when it's reproducing but fundamentally Mm -hmm. bad outside of that yep there's like really no like deep analysis of of the the philosophy that underpins that and it's it's really toxic. Yeah, it I feel like it just is so insidious and impacts so many things. Like it just it destroys you in ways that like you don't necessarily know. There's so many layers to it. Well, I mean, I it, like for a, a completely out of out of the sphere example i didn't realize i wasn't breathing deeply until i started choir sophomore year of college mm-hmm. and i realized i didn't have enough air in my lungs to sustain some of those notes and i was like why is this like and i realized my abdomen was like permanently clenched up and mm-hmm. i like wasn't able to take a a deep breath from my belly yeah. i like was taking shallow breaths for like 20 years and yep. i when i finally it took me like a couple weeks of like really focusing on like trying to relax those muscles but when i finally took that deep breath like it changed all sorts of stuff and then later on when i did yoga i realized i had been just like ignoring my body for forever and i didn't i didn't have a um, any relationship with like why like my hamstrings were super locked up or like why mm-hmm. my ankle kept turning and like there are all these like like old injuries or or tension points that I had been ignoring and I've been making myself like 
you know, suffer for it. I'd been giving myself migraines because I'd been ignoring my body's requests for stuff. Yeah, ballet has been really helpful in that respect for me as well because we do mostly technique. So the entire class for like 75% of it is just stretching and leg work and ab work and breathing work and being in alignment and like being grounded. Mm -hmm. And then we learn like the choreography and run through the steps. But that's after we've spent the first hour like being in our body and I'm like, oh, I feel so many more muscles well, and I yeah. feel all of this tension and I feel where all of like my points are because I'm actually there now. I mean, that's Pilates. It's designed to, it's, it does a lot of the same stuff that yoga does. It grounds you in your body. And like Pilates was designed as a ballet warm up to get mm -hmm. you in sync with your breath and to get you aware of small muscle groups in your core so that you could dance without injuring yourself. Yeah. Because if you start dancing without being like actually in your body, you're going to hurt yourself and, it's and it's going to be it's going to be violent. <laughs> yeah. Your body is like we're not supposed to do that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, we were talking about rings. That's what That's where we all got with all this, like, this whole body thing. It's important. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah, well I feel like this now like provides the context for the gravity of of kind of like what a purity ring means and meant and like right so all of the weight that is behind that a purity ring is functionally like a way of just like severing your your spirituality from your body and just like saying like i'm going to devote my my life to christ and getting to know the Lord and serving my community and my church and like being, a, you know, a, a very like useful engine basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, in like all of just being like a cog in this com church community um, and ignoring my sexuality and ignoring my body until I, my body belongs to someone else and they like get to use it however they want. And this goes into like, um, there's like a lot of, uh, a lot of these fundamentalist Christian pastors will talk about like denying sex from your partner is almost as bad as cheating. And so they'll pressure wives into having sex when it's like not healthy or completely mm -hmm. inappropriate or, you know, non-consensual, um, you know, there was this whole story trigger warning for sexual assault stuff, but um, where C.J. Mahaney, the founder of the co-founder of Sovereign Grace Ministries, would brag about his wife, who had he'd been married to her for like thirty years, and he kept saying like she has never turned me down for sex, oh, yeah. even right after she had hip replacement surgery, and that was held up as a positive example. Yep, and that, people were like, "Wow, that's awesome." That's awesome. She's so selfless. She's what a so fucking selfless. saint. Yeah. yeah. So much rape. That's what being a good wife looks like. Yeah. So that's, you know, what purity rings are kind of priming you for that. Yeah. It's basically grooming so that you'll be like a passive victim of sexual assault for forever. Right. Well, and like that was what my mom, my mom fancied herself a marriage counselor. And that was what she counseled all the women who were coming to her for help was like, well, you just need to have sex with your husband more. Make like, yourself sexually available. Make yourself available and then he won't cheat on you or be mean to you or hit you or whatever. You just have to be more submissive. Yeah. I mean, the pastors at our church gave women that advice all the time. Yep. 
Yeah, I know that was like the standard. Speaking of women enforcing the patriarchy and these like, you know, weird gender roles, because I feel like it is the women who really enforce it. Like the the men, yeah. the, these ideas are designed to benefit men, and then it's the women who are gaslit into becoming the the enforcers. Yep. Exactly, and they really really hold it up. Um, let's talk about Claire's prom. Yeah. <laughs> What Which you, was not a purity ball. No, it was a homeschool a prom. But it, like the homeschool moms were the ones organizing it. And they were the ones who enforced it and caused all of the hullabaloo. And the dads were the ones who were being pervy. But the moms were the ones who were in, enabling them. Yep. So what happened? <laughs> what do you remember happening? I, I would love to like fill this in from the other side yeah. real fast. Uh, I remember the site going down. Uh, because everyone because it went viral. Um, yeah, I remember that she went to this prom and she wore like this dress, and it was not like it wasn't a slutty dress. It wasn't. It wasn't like it was just a normal like prom dress mm-hmm. that is very run of the mill prom dress. Like, and and because it was all these fundamentalist homeschool moms, the fact that it like had spaghetti straps or was strapless or it was something it was it was not as modest as they wanted it to be and the the allegation was that like the dads were looking at claire Mm -hmm. and like that wasn't the dad's problem that was claire's problem right yep that's i mean that's the gist of it so (laughs) god i'm like I'm like starting to get spacey and dissociated because it was so intense. That whole day was so fucking It was intense. so much. And it was like three weeks of like nonstop stuff. Uh, yeah. It really, this is like what made me stop blogging is because it was so. It was a lot. A it was lot. so many. Okay. So Karen's been my webmaster for years and they were kind enough to take my website on when I got divorced and was homeless and broke. And so they were keeping the domain alive. So that's why they were involved with the the site crashing. And I had been working at Barnes Noble in California. And I was, it was a third street promenade one. And Claire was, she'd been to this prom before. This was her second time at it. It's um, in Richmond. It's organized by the homeschool moms. It's like very you know, G-rated pop music, like, you know, old songs and, you know, swing dancing. And, um, I mean, they had some some more, like, raunchy stuff, but, like, not much. Like, nothing that you right. would, nobody would, outside of this culture would recognize it as raunchy. Everybody inside this culture might be like, huh, I might not send my child to that. Um, <laughs> I was not allowed to go to this prom. I was told that it was risque, but like because my sisters and I had my sister and I had both gotten divorced and like kind of ostracized by our communities. My mom had started reconsidering stuff and they allowed my brother to go one year and then he took his friends and my sister went with them the next year. And then this was her first year going alone without my brother there. So she was going with her boyfriend and um Everybody who's, like, seen this story go viral has assumed that it was because of racism, because her boyfriend at the time was black. It's not. 
the people kicked her out before he even showed up on the scene. They didn't even know he was with her. They, it could be in Richmond, but it wasn't. And actually, that community is, like, you know, fairly racist in their own ways. But um, they're so defensive about not being racist that they would not have said anything about an interracial couple. They would have used other microaggressions instead. So Claire sent me this photo of this dress. And it's this, like, sparkly silver dress. And the rule was fingertip length was was your your acceptable Mm -hmm. shortness and she's tall this girl is like 5'10 and curvy and the dress was fingertip length but because she's so tall it just showed a lot of leg and she was wearing it with heels and like we did this like we did this video chat where she was like showing it to me in her room with heels without heels she like sent me some some selfies and was like do you think this is okay and i was like yeah, you've got, like, half an inch below your fingers. Like, you're good. Mm-hmm. Like, it was longer than fingertip length. But this woman who is the chaperone who met her at the door and immediately told her it was inappropriate, this woman was, like, four foot ten. And so all she saw was, like, <laughs> <laughs> all she saw was just, like, these legs in her face. Um, and she was just was like, you know, this is not appropriate and claire's like no look it is i'll take my heels off i'll show you like with and without like it's here Mm -hmm. look at it and she kind of like was like okay i guess you're fine and let her in and the boyfriend was out trying to find parking like everybody got dropped off so this happened while the boyfriend's like trying to find parking and um it's at a church and there's like this you know balcony area and um some of the dads are up there as like chaperones and they're managing manning um like, I guess they had a strobe light or something they were using. It was in a, a church that often did theater productions for the, the homeschool community, Richmond community. And so she goes in there and she's like dancing with some of her friends. This is, of course, a very dry event. Right. Very, <laughs> very casual. But like if Claire moves at all, she's curvy. And so that's like obviously like sensual dancing. Mm-hmm. Um. And she, she has a body and people can see it so clearly. Like, one of the things that my mother gave me and all my sisters is we, we got some ass. Like, it's <laughs> just gonna <laughs> happen. So, whatever. It's fine. But, you know, and then I was not fine because all of the dads in the balcony were watching. And I don't know which one. She, she has an opinion I'm going to refrain from engaging in that. We still don't know who did it. But mm-hmm. the, one of the dads apparently told another of the dads that he thought it was distracting. Her ass in that dress. And um, you can't see the side eye that's happening. But nah. <laughs> So um, in, in under the guise of protecting the young men, this father Naturally. went to the the woman who was the first gatekeeper, the mom comes and finds Claire and it pulls her in and was like, you have to leave. And she's like, I can't, I carpooled with all these people. So that's like six people who are going to have to leave. You can kick me out and you can have someone come pick me up, but you're going to refund my ticket or you're, everybody is going to leave with me and you're going to refund all of our tickets. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no refunds. You violated the dress code. Get out. Oh my God. And she was like, no, I didn't. And 
this is when it escalated is she said, you're slut shaming me. And I think this woman just like was so umbraged at the the word slut being bandied around. Right. And this is when the boyfriend walks in and he's like, what's going on? And Claire like starts bawling and tells him what's going on. And he and all the friends had like kind of rallied around and it was like this cluster of like six kids and they're all just like, cool, we're leaving. And so they just mm. left. And so I'm working at this bookstore and I'm closing and it's in California. She's in Virginia. And um, it's like, you know, 1 a.m. her time and it's 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. my time. And um, I'm I'm putting away books. The, the bookstore's closed. I'm like doing recovery. And I get this call. And it's Claire. And she never calls me. And I was like, I should pick this up. It's also like 1 a.m. In, in Virginia. Like something's going on. And she's just sobbing. And she's like, I'm in the car with my friends. We just got kicked out of prom because of my dress. And this is what happened. And like she's really, really upset. And I'm just like, okay. Clearly, this is something you're really, really passionate about. And you're like, she's like tearing into purity culture and like mm -hmm. making a feminist rant out about this. And I was like, <laughs> write it up and we'll we'll put it on my blog. It'll, it will help you feel better. You know, yeah. you, you can you can you can process this through writing. You can have the space to tell your side of the story with them. And the Richmond homeschool community is like. It's Gossip Central. So, right. like, I knew everybody was going to be talking about this, and I knew she was really worried about losing friends over this. Yes. And, like, people being like, you can't hang out with my daughter anymore because she's <laughs> a slut. You know, like, so I really wanted to protect her. And so I felt like, you know, if you tell your story first, you get to, get to control the narrative, which is what happened. So she wrote it up. We edited it down. We removed some names for, you know, protection of the, the offending parties. And yep. um, and then Gawker picked it up. It's so ridiculous. And the site shut down. <laughs> and so I had this story going viral. And I still, like, by the way, dear listeners, if you see photos from that blog post floating around in all these, like, trashy, uh, like, content farm sites, please report it because none of them have rights to use those photos. Oh, those right. photos belong to me. And uh, they're still using them to get clicks. It's very offensive. But yeah, so Claire, Claire was then. Right, because someone swearing, <laughs> because she obviously. went viral. She started having news, local news stations wanting to talk to her. And because the term fuck the patriarchy was in the blog post title, it was also, fuck was also in the URL. Yep. My father got so offended that she was using that and was going to thereby ruin his professional reputation because she was using the word fuck on the internet um that he said that she couldn't talk to any news reporters unless she removed the word fuck from the url but i knew that because it was viral all of these sites would oh have God. the old url oh and it'd be a problem so he, he shut the entire family out. like off and i knew she didn't want that so she and i talked about it and we decided to not and my father had her basically on house arrest for three weeks. He wouldn't let her out. He wouldn't let the boyfriend call. He wouldn't yep. let people come over. He wouldn't let people talk to her. Yeah. He, like, unplugged the house phone and only, and like, all because, managed, like, you know, business as usual through his personal <laughs> cell phone, which my mom didn't have a cell phone at that point, so it was just him. Yeah, I don't know what he expected to come from that. And like, so the boyfriend and I kind of tag team trying to, like, cover the media and, like, answer the requests and talk about what happened. Um, and she was just like, 
basically locked up because of it. The whole thing was really shitty. And that's why my father doesn't talk to, or my sister doesn't talk to my father today. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I don't understand when parents like do these things and they're like surprised when the relationship with their child that they did that to doesn't work out. <laughs> like, what did you expect? Well, and it's also so, it's also so baffling to me. Like the story, like my parents had my sister's back with this issue, like. With the prom, they let her go to the prom. They were angry at the organizers for how they handled it. Like it was just the language and her access to to the then media. And so I was like, Dad, why is this? Why does this impact yeah. your reputation? Why are you? Why do you care so much? And he's just like, you know, it was basically a control thing. He just wanted he wanted to be the one who was managing how the story was handled. And because he wasn't, he just shut everything down. He. he, he he just shut everything down, yeah. Why are men so fragile? Um, because they are told from a very young age not to cry and that having friends that they love is gay. <sighs> so they can't have feelings and they can't love anyone. It's so ridiculous. It really, it really <laughs> is. It really, really is. So yeah, um, I talked with Claire this morning and cleared that to make sure she was okay um, with me telling that story again. Yeah. And she was, but yeah, the whole thing's super shitty. Yeah. It's so shitty. Has anything happened since? Does it still continue and nothing has changed or have things changed? Um, the boyfriend got some death threats. Holy shit. Because, you know, the actual, the actual, like, segregationist racists in Richmond when the story went viral who were not part of mm. our homeschool community... Right. Like, the people who are not nice about being racist. Yeah. Which is like, I, I hate <laughs> to say that. But the, the people who are overt in their racism got wind of it and just, like, were, were very aggressive. And and I had to shut down comments on that yeah. YouTube post that we did as a little follow-up because I would still get, like, you know, fuck you, fucking the white guy, mm. blah, 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 kind of stuff, like, uh, in the comment section years out. Years later, years later, people would it's still find so it and comment on it and just, like, be awful. And I, around that time, that's when I had the, the stalker who was posting my photos and phone number up on the Los Angeles Craigslist uh, with personals saying that I had a, a, a rape fantasy and here's where to find me. And the Culver City Police didn't care about it. Uh, it was just, like, that was because of this and it was my, my Richmond phone number, which, like... I didn't give out, yeah. so it had to be someone who I knew from growing up there. Uh, I still don't know who did it, and I'm still very upset about it because nobody listened to me, and nobody took it seriously, and I. It was just very scary. The whole thing was just really yeah. scary. People anyway, are terrible. People are really, really terrible, and and it all comes down to we're trying to protect some pervy men. That's yeah, what it comes down it. to. Is like all of that violence, all of that vitriol, is about. Some of the homeschool dads thought her ass was hot and decided that it was her problem and not theirs. It was her problem and not theirs. Yeah. And the entire community rallied around it. Yeah. Well, our entire culture taught us to believe that if anyone looked at us and thought anything and like didn't like assume we were invisible, that's our fault and we're liable for their sin and their struggle. 
if you look back at like the archives around that time period, I don't know how much of this is still up. There are blog posts going up from like girls who grew up with us who mm-hmm. were either at that prom or not at that prom, but like people who knew my sister and me and who were just basically like around this time I had just gotten divorced. I had started calling out my church for protecting pedophiles and for um, ignoring mental health issues and encouraging. What did you just break? (laughs) And encouraging (laughs) this dog (laughs) this day, um, (laughs) encouraging, um, encouraging women to make themselves more sexually available to their husbands for and basically denying the existence of marital rape. Yep. So I started calling all this stuff out. Then this happens. And my sister and my other sister at the time um, eloped and was posting feminist stuff on Facebook. So it was like the three of us were a little bit like agitating around these issues that Mm -hmm. nobody else was willing to talk about. And suddenly we were all the black sheep. And so all these people we grew up with were like posting like blog posts, basically calling us all like you know, narcissistic bitches. Yeah. No, no, narcissistic <laughs> bitches. Like that was like the, that was, those were words that were used. Oh my God. It was like, we were trying to make everything all about us all the time. And we're just like, no, we're just trying to like talk about what we're seeing. And all of you are so invested in protecting the system that you don't want to talk about it. Yep. A lot of people make fun of the father daughter dances and the purity balls and purity rings and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the 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 violence that's associated with trying to step out from under the control of the patriarchy, yeah. you have to really think twice about that because the women and children who are in those situations don't have the agency and don't have the tools to get themselves out and protect themselves. Yeah. And they may not agree with things and they may just be going along with things to keep the peace so that they don't get abused. Yeah. Or they get abused less. Yeah. It's just so, it's so much of a trap and it's so hard to get out of. Yeah. And and it's That's so true. tied to like your eternal future. It's, it's right. not just like, oh, this is just a decision I made. It like impacts you at like your core. Right. Because everything is, is tied to, like, how well you are submitting to God and his yep. will and whether or not you'll get into heaven and, you know, the, the state of your eternal soul. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Sorry, I got really upset. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I'm glad that we got to talk about, like, purity culture and proms and all of Theology the, like, of the body. stuff that is behind that it's so dark yeah it really is like it it seems so fine because when people think about proms they're like oh it's like this cool party thing it's a cute coming of age moment (laughs) yeah it is it inducts you into violence yeah and and rape (laughs) right oh my god yeah i am really enjoying kind of getting to create that space for queers on my campus who have either never been to prom because they didn't want to go because they were closeted or whatever, or like did, but it was terrible. And I feel like this is going to be healing for a bunch of people who like had prom experiences, but it's also going to be really healing for me having 
not had a prom experience and having all of my like coming of age things being so grounded in like commodifying my body mm-hmm. to have something that is a celebration of like autonomy and agency and being ourselves, I think is going to be well, super this is, awesome. I mean, this is part of why, I mean, we had Ramy on a couple weeks back and this is part of why Ramy and I both really enjoyed discovering pole dancing. This is why I really enjoy clubbing now. Um, like I don't do it a lot, but I love like going out and going dancing and I love like being able to like, um, express myself and have it be normal and have it be part of a, a group where everybody's doing that and not be, you know, the target of yeah. of basically predatory um, gaze or or touch. Mm-hmm. And like those things, those things happen in clubs and like you there, but like there's like such a, a, especially in queer clubs, there's such a community of like supporting each other and looking out for each other. There's like these cues that you can you know signal to your your girlfriends and they'll dance up on you to get yep. that guy out of the way like there's yeah. like there's a culture of like of collective protection and support and it's really freeing and fun yeah i love it it's so good i'm it's glad so, that we so have good. like this thing that we can reclaim yeah bodies are great right we got cheated at it a lot yeah Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on that journey. It was yes, a journey. It, it was a journey. Um, the music you hear on this episode is By the Heavens from their album Stenazzo. Our Patreon is Kitchen Table Cult Pod. And um, you should really join that because if you do, we're going to be talking about um, doing a live recording event in Oakland when I come out to visit at the end of the month. So join the Patreon. And you'll get info on that, and you'll maybe be able to hang out with us if you're in the Bay Area. Yes. And you should also, even if you're not in the Bay Area, email us questions to talk about on the podcast. You can find our contact info and a bunch of other information on our website, which is kitchentablecult.com. Thanks so much to our producer, Aaron, and for all of our patrons and listeners who make this possible. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.